Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, it's time for the return of the dynamic duo. The dynamic duo, you're saying? Which dynamic duo could it be? Well, I'm going to let the dynamic duo introduce themselves. That's hard to say, dynamic duo. I'm trying to say it three times. Dynamic duo, dynamic duo, dynamic duo. Anyway, I'm looking at uh, two... Oh, wait a minute, Ben. If it's a duo, it has to be two. Other dynamic duo. This is a return to the show. One has initials CW. The other has initials RJ. So I'm going to ask CW to introduce himself. Go ahead, CW. Mr. J. Ben Rossi, how are you? My name is CW, more legally known as Cody Wilkins, uh, Chicago-born, Brooklyn-based comic and writer uh ever striving to be a more sane and peaceful human being in this crazy world what's up very good and that's a good uh, introduction uh rj introduce yourself uh hi my name is uh rachel rj jarovsky uh yeah you did recognize that last name i am the daughter of ben jarovsky um but let's just say one of the best things he's ever made <laughs> um sitting here in the flesh now this is distance i'm not with them right now uh Rich Zdrowski, comedian, uh, godless rabbi, general Jewish jester for children. Um, and, uh, yeah, you you know me, and hopefully, hopefully you know me. Hopefully you know me. All right, godless rabbi. That, that, yeah, it should go on your card. Uh, yes, Rachel Zdrowski. Well, the name is a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. She is my daughter, one of my many uh, daughters. All right. Man. The last time Rachel and Cody were on the show together would have been December of 2019. Uh, the world has dramatically changed since uh, December of 2019. Let's talk about some of the change. Well, first of all, they're a comic duo, uh, and they were going to be, uh, let's start there. They were going to be on stage together in Chicago. We're getting all ready to promote it. We got a guy ready to film it. We're going to put it out on the internet and everything. And Rachel, what happened? Uh, COVID, COVID-19 happened. Although before we jump into that, dad, I just have to ask, do you have daughters that I don't know about? <laughs> that I was one of your quote, many daughters. Got many daughters. Hey, got a lot. I got a life to, you know, my life didn't start the day you were born. Okay. Huh? Okay. Susie Q. Okay. Oh, to all my sisters out there, I hope to they meet you. Um, but yeah, I mean, COVID hit, uh, the Corona, the Rona, vid 19, you know, you know, it, you know, the nicknames, um, just made up most of those right here in the moment, but you know, the disease that's just been sort of ravaging this country. Um, yeah, we were all set to do it. And then it just like slowly, but surely became clear that the world was shutting down. Um, I feel like Cody, we were playing ourselves for a bit like, well, it'll probably be cleared up by yeah. April, mid April. We'll be good. But we no. gave it a couple weeks where we thought maybe we could do the show without becoming co-video vixens. But, you know, 
the world said otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cody, what was the theme of the show? Talk about the theme of the show. It's going to be in, I want to f- say, God, I've lost track of time. Was it February or March? It was going to be in April. Yeah. April. Good. All right. It's, I've really lost track of time. So what was the theme of the show going to be? It was, the theme was really just built around this idea of Rachel and Cody coming home. You know, I think the two of us have been friends for so long, like, you know, decades since high school and Chicago made us, but New York in the last five, six, seven years or so has really helped mold us comedically and like add to our hustle and bring a lot of buzzy, energetic, like action to what we're trying to do out here. And, you know, I think in any city you go to, you'll find the Chicago people stick together like glue. And Rachel has been one of my Chicago people in New York. And we just wanted to come back and pay homage to the city, pull together kind of our friends and family, like that over that intersected and that were opposite from the city to go come do two shows, one on the north side, one on the south side. Like it's it's segregated over there, but we all friends, we all family come to have a good laugh. And it was really gonna be an absolute wow. Well, really all we did was just like have a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, that and of course, you know, like we're gonna have everybody in the crowd lick a napkin and pass it around because <laughs> we do that and I don't know. But yeah, it was, it was gonna be a lot of fun. I yeah. never, I don't know about you, Rick, but I think I've done a half hour once before in my life. Maybe once, maybe twice. But I was yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, I had my solo show, which was an hour of comedy. Rachel Jarofsky is a thirsty white ally, which more relevant than ever, you know, that show. <laughs> if, if, theater, <laughs> if the world ever opens back up, I'll bring it back. Um, there's just, you know, for all my white brethren, just frothing at the mouth <laughs> deranged and so concerned with how they can do better that's really what the show's about um but i yeah i mean the whole show the whole show was basically just it was centered around me and cody making this grand return but you know it wasn't covid clear it just was not covid clear there was no way it was going to be covid clear you know cuz me and cody we start every show the same way. The same way. And what's that way, Cody? Every time we get up and we say, hello, everybody. And everybody says, hello, y'all. And then <laughs> we do like, kind of like in-studio warm-up bits for a, for a late-night show. We say, okay, let's get one practice applause and one practice hooray and one big practice cough. And none of that, I feel like, would have been able to fly. We can't cough. We can't, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, we really were trying to do something spiritual. It was almost like church-like where we say, okay, everybody turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, kiss them on the cheek. You know, we, we can't, we just can't put a show like that on. You can't, not right now. Not yeah. right now, we can't. It's just not COVID clear, but uh, it was going to be a really good one. We were, I mean, uh, the biggest thing is it's been hard, you know, being away from your family and your base. And we were, we were pumped to like show everybody what we've been up to, um, the last, you know, 10 years, which is getting on stage for drink tickets. You know what I mean? Getting on stage and the payment is a free beer, but you know what? We take it. Um, did you have, did you have material already to go? That's was specifically dedicated to Chicago. Yes. Oh yes. Me and Cody got asked to um, perform at our 10 year reunion uh, for free, 
So right. that's sort of a fun, you know, it's, it's funny that they think we can kind of just donate our service. <laughs> <laughs> that we're that successful that we're philanthropic now, you know? Yeah. Uh, why don't you take a moment to talk or remind people, maybe they don't remember the December uh, 2019 interview where you took the deep dive on your friendship. Uh, so, Cody, why don't you talk about how you and Rachel met, the circumstances? Yeah, Rachel, Rachel and I met in high school. We went to Whitney Young High School in Chicago. Eat, eat, dog and ride, you know what I'm saying? We met, we must have met freshman year, I think just because between sports and like social lives and people hanging out, we got to be cool. I think, again, Rachel and I kind of initially landed in like opposite like small pools of folks in high school, but it kind of brought the same balanced excitement, kind of humor and chit chattiness and like sportiness. And over the course of high school, that just like drew us together, you know, hanging out with we, Rich and I both hung out with folks who hung out with folks who didn't stay in their neighborhood, which is a big deal in Chicago because it's yes. so sprawling. You know, if you don't stay, if you don't have a car, you don't really have access to the best bus lines or things. You kind of just like hang out with the homies in your neighborhood. And we were both fortunate enough to have folks that crossed those lines. And the two of us got to run together. It was nothing but a 40. So, you know, we, nice. we kind of kept doing that. And then uh, college brought us both to the East Coast. Um, college introduced me to comedy. Uh, so I ended up turning and tapping Rachel on the shoulder and going, please teach me how to comedy. <laughs> and, and, and don't worry, Cody has got Italian in his lineage. So <laughs> <laughs> he can do that voice. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, Rachel, you're, uh, you're add your two thoughts to uh, meeting Cody. Yeah. I mean, uh, we met, I mean, yes, we were both, we would see each other. We were both like, we would venture out of our neighborhoods. Um, or we were, Cody had a car. I was able to like convince people to give me a ride everywhere. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, there's a certain, I think it's true. It's like the North side parties, the South side parties, but we would both go to parties in each other's neighborhoods. So there was like, you know, and that was kind of true for our general social circle. I feel like there was some definite, there was some like, our crew was pretty, was integrated. I mean, way better than like, I don't know, anywhere else. (laughs) Um, But then when college hit, uh, yeah, we were both East Coast. Cody was getting into comedy. I, you know, I was also really getting into comedy. And then actually Cody and I lived together for a bit one wild yeah. summer we uh made a water bottle bong and <laughs> spent a lot of time smoking plastic um yeah. bye Brazil. bye right. but we had a great time we would like smoke the water bottle bong and then go on a jog by the river like we really yeah. had our version of eat pray love happening in a hot <laughs> So when you guys were uh, doing that, did you do bits with each other just naturally, like tell jokes to one another or follow each other's lines with other lines? To yeah, we've certain- always been doing bits for sure. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I didn't even know that what we were doing were bits until I got like for real into the comedy space and took a second city class and they were like improv, bits, sketch, bits. Nah, 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 nah. And I was yeah. like, oh, you guys are just what are you talking about bits? You're just hanging out. This is just what hanging out is to me. We're just playing. And Rachel and I were always playing, always playing. And interestingly enough, in New York, and even as adults, when we first were in New York that one summer, and now, like, there, as you get older, thing in the world has definitely become more serious. There are responsibilities, and you got to worry about it, you got to mature. But we are just 
always playing. Yeah. Like it's never too serious to to have a good run or a good rib at it. That's that's kinda how I think our comedy duo has come about kind of so naturally. Uh where it's like, no, we don't necessarily have to be on stage together all the time. We're not like Penn and Teller, I guess, but they're more <laughs> but like, you know. Yeah. We're also just like I know. Well the lot it really is sad that um that COVID happened because the live show was going to be like our first bigger collaboration together. Um, Just because we haven't really, we both have hosted our own shows, but we hadn't hosted a show together. So it was cool to just be able to like, you know, shoot the, basically do what we've been doing for the last, I don't know, 10 plus years. Oh shit. It's longer than 10 years. 2006. We would have met. It's now 2014 years. Did I get that right? We we have, known each other for as long as we were old when we met that's true whoa i know wow <laughs> that's cody that's a, that's how winnie young academics program right that's that's a, he's going deep with that one but it's true i actually yeah. do the same thing all the time cody i'm like wait now i've known this person for 30 years if you right <laughs> oh wow um all right now have the uh Oh, the madness that has descended on our country uh, in the last, I've lost track of time, five four or five months since COVID, uh, the murder of George Floyd. Has that been challenging to the two of you? Uh, we just had uh, looting here in Chicago uh, that uh, on the, I don't know if you guys follow this, neither of you are in Chicago right now, uh, no. but uh, has that been a challenge to the two of you and your friendship? Um, not, I wouldn't say necessarily, um, that our friendship has felt very challenged. I think that we've, um, been able to really find ways to support each other as like creatives and collaborators and even just collaborators in the sense of like, okay, I'm waking up in the morning and I'm going to do something creative with my time. Like I want to make sure this person is as well. Like we'll very often like. Um, you know, work on FaceTime together and like write on FaceTime together, working on our own stuff, but, um, you know, but like, you know, working, you know, simultaneously at the same time. But I think that really just like the depression that set in for me and I'm assuming for you, for you too, Cody, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of your right. depression, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was sad as fuck as well. Right. Um, <laughs> but we were, you know, like, it was, it's definitely a hard time to feel creative or like even making something. It's a hard time to feel creative. Like, because you're not both with like the heaviness of, you know, the pandemic and you're not like, nobody's kind of checking for you in the morning to make sure that you're up and doing anything at all. So it's easy to just kind of like sleep in and eat one meal at 5 PM and brush your teeth. Um, but also just like, you know, with, the heaviness of like the murder of George Floyd and just like reckoning again for, you know, the umpteenth time with the very racist nature of this country and society. Like, yeah, I mean, we've definitely had to hold space for each other in terms of like, well, where do I fit in like this fucking racist ass Hollywood world? And like, the stories that I'm trying to tell and are they worthwhile stories to be told? Do they matter? Blah, 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 blah. And we're over here like your stories matter. You know what I mean? Right. Um, we're out here starting the, your stories matter movement. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. 
Yeah, I I would be yeah I would be hard pressed to say that coronavirus and all of the equals the rest of the justice protests have put a strain on our relationship. Uh, I think starting with coronavirus, it uh, reminded me of something I've known for such a long time, which is that no one is special. Uh, we're all kind of just human, you know. And and it was when coronavirus coronavirus first started popping off. I remember uh, thinking, okay, so in Chicago, there was a, a party on the west side with a thousand people not wearing masks and, and walking around. Uh, in, in rural America, there's hundreds of people walking around protesting with no masks. So, like, ignorance and the idea of feeling special just, like, doesn't care what color you are. Neither does coronavirus. I had a whole spiel where I realized, okay, like, I don't matter and like nothing does. <laughs> so <laughs> it's great that I'm being told to shelter in place. Um, and I think Rachel was right. It's really tough to be creative uh, in those sorts of situations, but um, you kind of, I kind of had the opportunity to peel, to take the time to peel back the later and say, okay, well, you can't go do stand up. You can't go to an office space or a coffee shop and finally what like what matters, who matters. And uh in thinking about like who in my immediate sphere of life did I matter to, did I make a difference to Rachel was one of those folks. So we like she said, we were able to keep in contact and, and you know, do litmus tests on each other's sanity and, and get some work done. And then when uh after George Floyd's murder after George Floyd's murder and all the things <laughs> that came after that I, re- I, I remember as a young black man needing to protect my peace by just getting off of the internet. I stayed off of Instagram. I stayed off of Twitter. I really only checked the news occasionally. And it was largely because like the basis of what was happening was bad and painful, but also seeing the multitude of convoluted ways people were responding to this and responding to people responding to this and trying to be allies and then getting people saying, well, that's not how you ally. And well, well, I'm just trying to, and all of that madness and noise made me really dizzy. And our friendship actually was a great pillar of stability to say, okay, we come, we look different. Sure. Like our skin color is different and our bodies are built differently, but we come from a similar place where we have a similar understanding and we can like discuss these things. I actually like Rachel at the time, really, you might've been the only not, thirsty white ally. All my white friends friends were hitting my line like, are you okay? How can I help? What do you think? What do I say? And I was able to turn to Rachel and go, she's crazy out here. What you working on today? Right. That was like a safe space for me to be myself and be sane. So it's been like super shitty the the world the last five months, but being able to check in with folks who I know and care about and Rachel and say, okay, this is what we want to work on. We want to focus on what we want to better. That's been a positive, like a silver lining to this whole situation. Yeah. And it's also, it's interesting. Like, well, when I said, well, first of all, I'll say, you know, it's, it's very easy to feel like nobody's checking for you, which is like, I don't know, dad, are you familiar with this, with that, like with the idea of being checked for, um, no, I, all I know about a check is something you pick up at the end of a dinner. Oh, you know, guys, some people don't find it difficult to be funny, even in the middle of a pandemic. I'm hey, just saying this guy who had his half hour. <laughs> 
Um, well, like no. the idea, Go ahead. the idea of being checked for is like being sought after, and you know, okay. I think that exists in everyone's careers. Like you want, you want <laughs> to be sought after. You want to feel in demand. But that is especially true for um, the, you know, for the comedy and entertainment industry, um, and you know, especially in the pandemic where the industry's in a recession, everything's on hold, nobody's shooting. I mean, I can really get work before the pandemic. So during like, forget it. Um, and it was just refreshing to have like Cody be one person that is checking for me creatively because it's also helping him create like on a given on a Monday, you know what I mean? Monday is the day when I'm freaking out. Cause it's like the capitalist beginning of the work week, like gotta you know, make a million dollars in an hour on wall street or whatever the fuck. And you know, I'm just, I'm waking up, I'm trying my best to like wake up at nine 30 or something. And it's helpful to get a text from Cody. That's like, Hey, you're trying to get in the lab today, which is basically just like what we do when we like FaceTime and, and write together so that was it was it's just been very helpful to have um you know cody to work with and also like yeah we are definitely we have a lot of distinctions in our identity a lot of differences i was just i've just been reading audrey lord now i'm about to go thirsty white ally on you guys i've been reading audrey lord and she talks about um celebrating differences and distinctions and not fearing it um shout out sister outsider i suggest (laughs) everyone pick up a copy today um but like oddly enough we a lot of the frustrations we feel though they're for different reasons and different you know and are being propelled by different like marginalizations over different aspects of our identity the feelings are very similar so it's like you know while I'm not trying to put people on blast right now so let me pick my words carefully but you know while XYZ studio exec or you know keeper of the jobs is telling me, you know, we can't give you the job because we're just trying to, you know, give the job to a black person right now. At the same time, Cody, who is a black person, is not getting the job. So (laughs) the same manipulation is happening here. It's like, and I'm like, are you sure? Because I have a friend right now who's really looking for work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, If you're not going to give the job to me, give it to Cody. Right. What's your take on that, Cody? Absolutely, positively supportive. My old thing: look, finding a job is like finding a hay-colored needle in a in a haystack. So I don't understand how anyone could possibly be like, "Oh, everything's fine, you're gonna be great." If Rachel wants to alley me all the jobs that they refuse to give her because she's white, then so be it. Hallelujah, reparations! I will take them. <laughs> uh, it's too bad I'm that gonna... when you get denied a job, you don't have a say in who gets it. Like. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, let me just say this uh, to um, uh, everybody listening to the show. In the entire history of the world, a white person has never been denied a job for a black person. In the entire history of the world, they may say that. Rachel, I'd hire you, but I got to hire a black guy. But it's never happened in the whole history of the world. I've lived a long time. I've... To, to, to take a page from Cody's book, if you take Cody's age and add it to Rachel's age, I'm even bigger than that. I'm older than that. It's never happened, ladies and gentlemen. So white people, when someone says, 
God, I'd love to hire you, but I gotta hire the black guy. That's just an excuse. They don't want to hire you for whatever weird reason they may have. You are right. being manipulated. Yeah. Right. All right. I'm going to ask uh, both of you this. We'll start with Cody. And uh, you, you mentioned that it's hard to be creative in a time of pandemic, in a time of racial strife, in a time of general insanity. Uh, I'm going to get a little more specific. Uh, it's hard to be funny at times like that. So I remember what, with great eagerness and anticipation, uh, Cody and Rachel waiting for Dave Chappelle's Netflix show. He drops it. He's not even funny. It's serious. Right. He's, you know, and, and like white people are like taking notes, you know what I'm saying? And what he's saying, right. uh, I watched Jimmy Fallon. I'm not a big fan, but I watched him and he was like, I can't even joke now. It's so serious. I can't joke. Uh, what's his, James Corden was crying in one show. So are you struggling with this being funny, uh, at this moment in time for me to myself? No. Uh, I, I think that a lot of my humor pre pandemic was dark in the first place. I used to, there's a comic named Anthony Jeselnik who was really influential on me early in my comedic career. And he's kind of like, he's kind of known as the guy who will hop on Twitter and make a joke about a dead famous person, like before the body is cold, you know? So kind of always, at least in my adult comedic career, been more tuned into darker, mildly more taboo stuff. Um, I tried at the beginning of, I did at the beginning of the pandemic for the first two weeks, a small um, online straight to camera desk piece comedy bit from my house called somewhat silver linings where I would take really bad news in from the news, really bad headlines from the news and do a backhanded silver lining on them, a somewhat silver lining. For instance, it might say like, Oh, well bad news. 50% of employees at the NYPD have called in sick because of COVID related illnesses. Uh, silver lining. These are cops we're talking about. So someone will listen to them when they say I can't breathe. So like that, you know, that, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that sort of like, because I, I, and especially in the world of stand up, come from a place where, uh, comedy comes from tragedy. Comedy comes from frustration. Comedy comes from, uh, confusion. Um, that's usually my take. Uh, it has not been difficult to be funny in these times, but it has been considerably more emotionally exhausting mm. because the work that I have to do, that I had to do in order to create that show in order to create that material involved deep dives into the news and really bad stuff and just like sadness and anger and a disappointment with the general populace with elected figures with, you know, corporations, just a lot, a lot of disdain and disheartenment turned to exhaustion and yeah, great material gets pulled from it, but I got I have gray hairs in the back of my head now. This is insane. You know? So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's been tougher to be funny, but it has definitely been more costly. Um, and so I think I've traded like the exhaustion of getting on the train and waiting two hours to go up at an open mic and then getting on the train back. And you know, I've traded that exhaustion for the exhaustion of like, I'm too informed and my morals are brittle and I'm breaking, you know, like, yeah. it's, it's totally different, but not hard. 
Rachel? Um, I think that it, it has felt harder for me. It, like, I think I've just been... I've been uns... Well, social media is a literal like garbage fire it is a giant garbage fire and the problem is is like as a comedian I feel like I have to engage I have to literally jump into the garbage fire doused like it's it's the it's the okay let me give you a visual social media is a garbage fire and I am fully covered in like lighter fluid or something and jumping in (laughs) head first like that is what it feels like and, but also there's this expectation as a comedian that you're like on Twitter, you're making jokes, you're blah, 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 you're going by, you're engaging with your people, you're engaging with your, you know, followers. And, and, and that's the way that you get on or become the talk of the town, town or like get the jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And I already struggle to do that. Like pan, like when we're not at a, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic and when we're not in the middle of like a collective you know, cultural, national, racial reckoning. And so it just made it, I would say that like those circumstances have made it hard to um, engage in the way that I feel I have to engage as a comedian. And also the fact that like everything is now virtual, like there's no way to like get up at a mic and do a live show. And that's going to make you, that's going to make you feel like you're, that's going to keep you in touch with like your identity of being a comedian or whatever. Like there's no way to do that. So it's like, Oh, I have to like, you know, be on some fake shit 24 seven on Twitter in hopes of getting retweeted by like some person I don't even like actually so that I can get all these followers and hopefully that leads to a job like that process. I am completely unable to engage with it now. Um, It was also just like there was a week where literally like two to three different white female comedians got canceled and I found myself like, so mad about at them but then I couldn't trust that there wasn't some self-righteousness in that anger that comes from an unproductive place so I just was like you know what I don't need to be fucking looking at everyone's projections of life you know like let me just and, and I wasn't even creating work anyways like I would say all that social media noise was like getting in my way of like actually writing or you know putting you know making anything um so yeah I would say it's been harder definitely to find the right uh plat or to find a platform for myself in the pandemic since live shows are out and I am unable to engage with social media well let me make a suggestion for you two guys can get your thoughts on this oh uh since uh live shows are out uh, and everybody's locked away uh, in their little cabins. Uh, why don't you uh, do a podcast? That, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the, the suggestion that all comics, writers, performers, yes. whatever, at a certain point, we got to ask ourselves this question. <laughs> Should I, you you want to start a podcast or something? Like, you can have a whole podcast throughout that. Right. I feel like, but you know what? I feel like we could. We could. 
we could. I mean, that is something um, <laughs> that is something that we have been talking about. And you know what? I, I'm going to I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit and give people an inside look. I was being a devastated, a devastated ass dude one Friday night. And my dad, the one Ben Jarofsky of the Ben Jarofsky show, called me up and was like, you know what? You should do a podcast. And he kind of, you know, dad, you kind of organized me. And then I was like, man, if I did want to do a podcast, I'd want to do a podcast with Cody. And this idea I feel like would be good for us. So we've been, you know, tossing around the idea of a podcast now. But I do hear Cody and that like everyone and their mother, sister's son in comedy is trying to do a podcast. So it can feel like, oh, is this just another podcast? But I do feel like we have something to offer. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to put this out as devil's advocate and get Cody's response. Everyone yeah. in comedy gets on stage and does stand up. Everyone in comedy go- it goes to an open mic. Everyone in comedy goes to an audition. Everyone in comedy uh, tries out for a movie. Does that mean, oh, he did open mic? I'm not going to do it because everybody's doing it. I mean, isn't it just another way you can't get your uh, material out on an open mic or a stage or so? You try a different uh, vehicle. You're, I agree with you. Uh, logically, you make all of the sense. You make dollars. You make. I understand what you're saying. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm human. You know, that's my biggest issue, is that I'm human. And so now, I, I went and got on stage and things. So it was like I, I love to be on stage. Um, and it was nice to like pop in and surprise the folks in the room who came for a show and. Wanted a little bit of a laugh. Um, I'm always tripping off a podcast because, personally, I don't really listen to a ton. And so I always get in my head like, well, if I'm not listening to podcasts, <laughs> why come listen to my podcast? Yeah. I don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I, I am doing some human work and getting outside of that irrational box and thinking about, you know what, you are right. Mr. J, you are right. I, this is another opportunity to um, sing, get the thoughts and the voice and the humor and the laughs out there and maybe make one person's day a little better. And that domino effect changes the whole world positively, at least like a small arm reach. So we can do that. I just got to get out of my own subconscious head about like, hey, everybody, come listen to my podcast. I'm Cody the Comic. You know what I'm saying? I know I told you to come to my show. That didn't happen. And I know I told you to watch this video I made in my room. But trust me, <laughs> if you were checking with me before, you're going to start today. Wow. I get past that. Yeah. I get past that. Because there's no reason for us really not to do it. Like I said, the pandemic taught me one, reminded me of one very important lesson which is in the grand scheme of things i don't matter so why not <laughs> it's true, it's true. Yeah. why not do just what makes you feel good yeah. i mean we have i feel like so first of all like way too often people see a podcast as a mean means to an end which i gotta check myself on that it's like so we'll start with the podcast and then it'll be a late night show and then it'll right. be you know I don't even know what comes after. We'll we'll write a movie or we have to play ourselves, you know, whatever. But I think right now what I is what's getting me through is just like projects that 
captivate me creatively and like this could be another one of them you know what I mean like who even if like it doesn't become the fucking million dollar even if it doesn't become Jesus and Mero but right. with a queer Jewish woman as the as the other <laughs> person you know um fine whatever but it'll be like we have it's you know it's the hardest thing about starting a podcast is believing that you have something to offer in the first place and Amen. that is really what it is hey women but hey women all right well, let's let's uh let's do a little sample right now so it's uh i'm gonna do it alphabetically the cody rachel podcast mm-hmm. and uh it's it's the first show mm-hmm. um and Kamala Harris has just been selected uh, by Joe Biden and is his running mate. Uh, these are just some possibilities of things you could talk about. Uh, on Monday night or Monday morning, there was rioting in downtown Chicago. The city, your hometown is freaking out over this. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot over the weekend was outraged because a group of what looked like millennials were congregated without masks, much to what the point Cody was making earlier uh, at Montrose along uh, the lakefront there. And she actually showed up and told them what? to disperse. Dis- <laughs> she showed up. Cody, that was so genuine. He's like, you guys have been gone. You have missed all of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I will lock you up. I will shut you down. I'm the mayor of this city. Okay? What about a cop? Mary. All right. So anyway, there are all potential things that are going on in the universe you could talk about. It's the Cody Rachel podcast. Uh, take one. I don't care who starts. Here goes that little clapper thing. If you could see me, I'd go. I got the little clapper thing like it's a movie. Right, so go. Be like here, like here comes the theme song. Ain't nobody checking for me. Ain't nobody checking for me. Hey, shout out whoever we have on tech. Maybe right. Dennis. We'll talk off <laughs> off camera. Dennis. Uh, shout out our tech. We're here with episode one of one of Ain't Nobody Checking for Me with Cody and Rachel. I'm Rachel Jarofsky. And I'm Cody Wilkins, which I doubt you knew because you weren't checking for me in the first place. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But uh, let's start with this. Cody, can we get for our millions and millions of fans? Because in this, you know that when we dropped episode one, people were so thrilled about it. And our names carried such weight that immediately Absolutely. listeners flocked to listen. Uh, so for all of our fans out there, please explain the idea of being checked for. Because I'm sure that there are people who don't know what that means. Absolutely. To be checked for is to have yourself or your work pursued by those in the world around you so that they can keep up with what you are creating and what you are doing. To be checked for is to create art separate from yourself and have the world turn its head to say, what the hell is that and who made it? To be checked for is the sort of thing that we all work for in this life. As a human being, you want to have a unique spot and use in your community. You want to know that you are you and you are useful. Uh, it, to be checked for is to have the human insatiable desire of being desired. And as a creative, as an artist, it is truly one of the toughest things to master. 
Oh, man. To be checked for is to turn down a job. Can you imagine turning down a job because you have other offers? Oh, wow. I've actually never seen the word offer with an S on the end. I am am 10 feet tall, but I would be 10 foot two if I stood on every rejection I've gotten in the last year. To be checked for what a dream. Oh, Um, what a dream. Wow. a good place for us to start today. Rachel, you know what? We're trying to get checked for all the time. Why don't, why don't you tell me who you've been checking for this week? What you been checking for? Who you been checking for? Who have I been checking for these days? I've been checking for a little legislating body called Congress. I've been checking for Congress day in and day out to see what they're doing about this relief package because I miss my $600 weekly <laughs> pandemic <laughs> unemployment extra benefit. I mean, I am re I'm re I'm waking up in the morning, ah, refreshing New York Times like like that's what's my fucking job. And, uh, you know, they still haven't done anything. Uh, so I would say that that Congress is the main people that I'm talking for. I'm talking I'm talking Chuck. I'm talking Chuck Schumer. Call me right. me, Chuck. I'm talking Nancy, my father's favorite. Pelosi. Right. I'm checking for Congress about this uh, relief package because, um, you know, uh, I could use that extra benefit and I am unemployed. Cody, who are you checking for? Who, uh, you know, I just got to say, uh, I feel you on that. We're, we're talking, we need, we need to call the Senate's house phone and get the House of Representatives to represent my bank account because things are being a little thin. May, uh, may your efforts in checking be fruitful. Thank you. Uh, who am I checking for? <laughs> I was, for a long time, checking for Joe Biden, trying to see what he was on mm-hmm. in terms of his VP pick. And to get the news today that he jiggity dropped the bomb that his VP pick is one Kamala Harris, who to me feels like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of politics right now. Mm. She is two of my favorite things, black and a woman. But she's also one of my least favorite things, a police officer. <laughs> but you know what? Look, as a Chicagoan, that's something I got to get used to because we got problems in the government back in Chicago anyway. Mayor Lloyd Lightfoot is pretty heavy-handed about telling everybody to keep their mouths and their masks on and everything. She came by the beach the other day, so I, I get it. You know what I'm saying? I was checking for Joe. What's next on the VP pick? We got it straightened out now, and I got to see how Kamala's going to act right, how Joe's going to act right, and how we can, like, I don't know, maintain some minimal source of normalcy. Right. We don't know. We're going to find out. It's just, you know, with the, it's just kind of two moderates, kind of two moderates on the ticket, you know, and I am bored. But you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm thinking for uh, where is it, Joe? The thing is, the thing is, is that there were several cops in the running. And that was really what blew my mind is like how so many police officers that you know, we're under consideration. And I'm wondering, why do you think that is? You know, I think that there's a segment of the population that likes to vote for the idea of law and order. And if you can paint that picture however you want, then, and it's okay. I will take this moment to say, though, I am very glad that the police are not checking for me. That's great. (laughs) Actually, uh, so I'll take that win. I'll take that personal win. That is a great. That is a great uh, additional question. Who are you? Who are you glad that you're not being checked for? Or who? Who are you? How do we phrase this? Who are you glad that you're not 
How, how do we phrase it? Who are you glad hasn't checked on you? Who are you glad hasn't checked on you? I'm glad that the IRS hasn't checked on me because I sort of feel like I was collecting while I was also working. You know? All right. They are listening to your podcast. Uh-oh. Uncle Samuel. Cut me a break. Uh, love my Uncle Samuel when he pays me $600 a week. All right. That sounds creepy. Dad, uh, we, our first guest on the show is uh, he, uh, the OG muckraking journalist. The, actually, this man was the uh, original thirsty white uh, ally before it was cool to be unquenched and Caucasian. Give it up for uh, the one, the only, uh, right journalist for the Chicago Reader and has an award-winning podcast. I think it's won yeah. awards. It should. Uh, right. Sometimes. Ventrovsky, uh, how, how, how's it going? Well, I'm not really confused because originally this started off as an interview, me interviewing you on my podcast. Now you're interviewing me on your podcast. And whoa, man, just so trippy. It's happened like in one day. Right. Uh, anyway, so, all right, I'm going to end the audition of the podcast. I think it's a great idea. I think you, you could bring on Chicago people. Uh, I'm, I'm loving this podcast. I'm going to write you uh, a sponsoring check right now for $5 million and get this yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how it works in the pod. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll give you $5 million. Uh, by the way, I wish we had played that bit. Yeah, you guys are uh, out of the city. So you've kind of you've missed. There's so much material from Chicago, uh, Dennis. Why don't we play them a little a Lori Lightfoot so they get a sense of Lori being tough. Any one of the ones that we have, we have a whole assortment of Lori being tough. I'll do a twofer. We will shut okay. you down. We will cite you, and if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. Does Lori, wow. Lori Lightfoot have any kids? Yeah, she has one daughter. She has one she has, daughter. I don't, I don't know how old the kid is. I think she's around 13 or something like that. Uh, I was going to say, she sounds like the way that she's talking, she definitely has, like, black mom voice, but it's very, like, early stages, like, I could probably maybe beat this boss. Black mom voice. You know, it's like, I will turn this car around. <laughs> what? Um, right. I so like, what is the context for the car? You know, like, who is she talking to? Dennis, what, help me out here. What was the car thing? We've done this bit so many times. I can't remember. It was for uh, people not uh, social distancing between the ages 19 and 25, I think. Uh, and they were in a car driving. I th- we do this bit all the time. Uh, and so the first one, I, I forget what the first one was. Was it the lakefront when she was mad at people and congregating? In the yeah, lakefront? that one was where she approached a bunch of kids playing basketball. Uh, no, oh, the, 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 this we will one. shut you down. We will cite you. That's when a bunch of kids were playing basketball, not social distancing or something like that. Yeah, that was, uh, and then there's, oh, here you go. You guys, you could do a whole podcast on this riff. D, can, can you play the one where Lori and Ray Raylo exchange words? This is uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago and an alderman named Raymond Lopez from the 15th Ward. All right, when you guys do a podcast, give me a little more time to get the clips. <laughs> All right, yeah. hold on. Where the hell? 
I'll do the setup. I got while, it. I got uh, it. Okay, here we go. I don't want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. If you think oh, we no offense, well, fuck you then. Who are you to tell me I'm full of shit? It's Chicago. Wow. <laughs> you should have seen Cody's face. <laughs> I, I got to give the setup. We play that all the time. That's my. Uh, you know, the legend—it's just—it's a, a debate, guys. It's—it's it's, yeah. it's your, uh, you know, government in action. But what happened in the aftermath of, uh, like, the Memorial Day weekend uh, unrest? There was a private meeting. It was pro- illegal uh, between the mayor, mayor, and several aldermen. I think there were like forty aldermen virtual, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, Raylo, his ward, that's his nickname, Raylo, Raymond Lopez's ward, uh, was the scene of a lot of uh, rioting and looting, and he was very concerned, and he delivered this, like a monologue to Lori Lightfoot, where really, I think he was needling her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so when he was done, he asked a question, and she, without answering the question, went to the next alderman. So she said, all right, thank you. Uh, alderman Jones, your turn. And that's when Raylo goes, I want an answer. What's your answer? And that's what she said. You want my answer? I think you're a hundred percent full of shit. And then that, pre- uh, precipitated. So this is the kind of things that you guys are missing in your hometown. It's very raw. I in mean, Chicago. I'm just glad she wasn't mayor when we were in high school. That block would have been hot as hell. We are already had run-ins with the cops. Yeah. Well, I, I got to say this, and um, throw this out, you guys. When your generation was in high school, when it began high school and when it ended, I saw a transition. When your generation started high school, I didn't get the sense that kids were aware that much of local politics. By your senior year, I think it was maybe it was your junior year, there was a walkout at many high schools over budget cuts and kids were becoming more aware. And I think now I believe there's just a greater awareness uh, by uh, among high school students for the world around them. And so I remember this is a lead in, this really irritates the hell out of me. Rachel's heard this a million times, Cody, it's the first time you're ever hearing this. In 2007, uh, when you were in your freshman year or sophomore year, I can't remember which, uh, there was a mayoral election and Mayor Richard M. Daly was running for re-election. And I assumed uh, he was running against a black woman named Dorothy Brown. And I worked from the assumption that because Whitney Young uh, had a sizable uh, number of black students in the school, that a good chunk of the student body would be for Dorothy Brown. Furthermore, I thought, God, how naive I was, that a sizable number of the white kids uh, would be for uh, Dorothy Brown because I was so anti-daily. So the student newspaper did a survey of kids at Whitney Young. The Beacon? Yes, the Beacon. The Beacon did a survey. uh, And overwhelming majority of the kids said they were for Richard M. Bailey. And I got to tell you, Cody, that hit me like a punch because I was like crusading against Mayor Daly. And I knew that the kids were probably following their parents. They were, 
hearing things at home and they were just repeating it. Or maybe the only name they knew was Richard Daly. And they right. just, and either one is bad, okay? And I just like, wow, if Dorothy Brown is not winning with the student body at Whitney Young, we are in serious trouble uh, as a people. I cannot imagine a similar sign of support for Rahm Emanuel in about 2015 from the student body at Whitney Young, or maybe no. in two, I would say by then they had already been politicized uh, and would have been uh, anti-Rom. Your thoughts? Well, my, my first thought is that you have to remember when, for the majority of our high school experience, we kind of were living in the generally Chicago and political utopia of, of Barack Obama presidency, right? Mm-hmm. So we... I was a uh, ballot box worker in twenty six in twenty in two thousand eight. I was a ballot box Same. worker. You said what? I, I was too. Yeah, yeah. I was a ballot box worker in two thousand eight, and that was like the buzzing coming around that was and like being involved at sixteen years old, not being able to vote, still being politically active, and being part of the process. That was about all the political action that I needed at the time. You know, I didn't. It didn't really concern. I think that we were at a point then where, like, I wasn't, aside from the Al Gore documentary, which came out maybe in, like, 2011, where I wasn't entirely concerned about things pretty far outside of my reach, right? My political alignment was like that of my parents locally. Yeah, I was one of those kids, probably the only person whose name in Chicago politics I knew was Richard and Daly and Harold Washington. And I knew that because of like generally my mom's influence, but also like the library and the Skyway sign. It was like okay, mm-hmm. that's like, that's the only time I think about Chicago politicians. Um, and I I believe that because what's going on politically now has or at least seems to have a lot more direct impact on folks, uh, if not from a policy standpoint, but also attitudinally, uh, there's a lot more attention being paid to it. From, from younger kids, you know, in 2008, 2007, 2008, honestly, Rachel, unless we were on the north side at a party after a soccer game at somebody's really nice house where I was the only black person, I wasn't really thinking about race, you know? I wasn't thinking about, like, social justice. I wasn't thinking about climate change. I wasn't thinking about the White House. I certainly wasn't thinking about Congress. I was thinking about, like, where is the best hookup? You know, like, what's, how, it was very, very, very simple. And I don't think that, given the way things are now, kids are afforded that leisure, you know? They, like, kind of have to be mature beyond their age and informed beyond their age and be in tune. And that is great for our future. But no, bummer for a 16-year-old, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there was, first of all, I for sure... I remember Dorothy Brown, right? Dad, you said she was trying to unseat Daly. Yeah, she was right. It was Dorothy Brown. I voted for her, but uh, I mean, she. I must have been supporting her. I mean, I must well, have I, been. Okay. Cody, you should know something. Poor Rachel was one of those kids. <laughs> Your father's obsessed with politics. So she was getting bombarded uh, right, every yeah. day with, you know, so. Uh, I mean, I just don't think people uh, were paying. Like, I also just think that Daly. Uh, yeah, the name recognition. Daly was such a boss and came from such a boss family, like that. 
the name I feel like the no one was really following no one had taken the deep dive on the daily family and how you know chronically shitty they have been through the years no one had uh um you know boss on their bookshelves at Mm -hmm. the you know dad you i feel like you have like who wrote who wrote that mike royko mike royko you have like several copies of that (laughs) to lend to any one of your many daughters, apparently. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no one, I mean, there was definitely an additional level of consciousness going on in our family on the local level, the local political level, and the same just wasn't true for the first two um, years of high school. By the time the walkouts started happening and the budget cuts, like then people were like, the ma- fuck the mayor, blah, 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 blah. Um, and we're more anti-daily. Because I believe Rom was... When did Rom get elected, Dad? Uh, 2011. Yeah. You that guys had already left Chicago. Saturated. Yeah. Yeah. But, so it, it was just not a general, you know, local political consciousness that I think now... I think, honestly, Black Lives Matter had an effect on that. Because, like conversations around I do feel like conversations around police brutality have gotten far more widespread especially for you know especially amongst teenagers and you know so much about like what governs police conduct is local government so it becomes way more it's it's in a lot of ways it's a real local issue um, and it's a specific local issue that everyone's waking up to so now people are like well hold on local politics plus like Laquan McDonald. I mean, I feel like that was just a whole eye opener for the city of like, well, wow, our local politicians, our mayor is literally scum. No, he's scum. lying. Yeah. What'd you say? He was lying. I was a wake up moment for many people in, in Chicago. Right. Uh, they they woke up to the fact that their mayor lies to them. Right, exactly. Right. And that just hadn't happened while we were in school. I mean, I mean, it's well, funny it was happening every day when you were in school, but no one was paying attention. Right. Well, I'm saying the wake, yeah. the, ver- the waking up was not right. necessarily happening. Um, but I mean, I do feel like we were like cops were definitely. But the idea that cops are not to be trusted and not your friends was a lesson that <laughs> I've somehow had no problem learning. <laughs> even. Right. Even if, you know, the anti-police rhetoric was not the same then, but like, I don't know. I feel like I was always kind of running from a cop. <laughs> uh, all right. Very good. Day. Rachel and Cody, I'm, I got my fingers crossed. I hope you guys uh, get your podcast off the ground. And if not, I'll just bring you back on my show as long as I have a show every six months. And oh. uh, we'll take the deep dive. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we'll try to deal with Dennis. You know, we'll talk off. We'll talk off uh, audio, Dennis. Yeah. All right. Very good. Rachel, thank you so much. Cody, thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Appreciate you. Take care.